Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Well, I want to try to get an episode out before Thanksgiving. I'm heading back to Indiana for the Thanksgiving holidays to spend time with my mother. So I'm taking my daughters and my wife back to South Bend. I think if you ever listened to one of my earlier podcasts, when I talk about my background, I talk about spending my high school years in South Bend, Indiana, and that I could not get out of the Midwest fast enough. I had no desire to stick around the Midwest. I'm a Westerner. That's what I am. Snow. Let's talk about snow for a minute. We've had snow in Salt Lake City. Just a skiff in Salt Lake City, but up in the mountains, uh, there's developing some serious snow. They are already starting to make snow at Deer Valley and Park City. I think Alta is supposed to open up in the next week or so. And from all indications, it's probably going to be a decent ski year. And I do look forward to that. Not as much as I did when I was a young man, but I still look forward to it. Something to do in the winter. Otherwise, what are you going to do? Sit around? Go shopping at Costco? There's only so much sitting around you can do in the winter. I need to get out, get some exercise. So, before we get on to the rest of this podcast, let me thank my sponsor, Sailrite. This show is sponsored in part by Sailrite. Since 1969, Sailrite has been equipping self-sufficient sailors with tools, supplies, and knowledge they need to sew for their boats. This second-generation family business is also the maker of the Sailrite UltraFeed sewing machine. The UltraFeed is a portable, heavy-duty sewing machine that was designed to handle all your maritime sewing projects from sails to covers. At Sailrite, you'll find everything you need to take on your next do-it-yourself project, including fabric, tools, hardware, and even hundreds of free how-to video tutorials. Start your next project at Sailrite.com. That's S-A-I-L-R-I-T-E dot com. You know, sometimes when I wake up in the morning, if I wake up really early, I turn on YouTube. And one of the stations I subscribe to in YouTube is the Sailrite channel. And <laughs> I, will just, I will just watch a video on how to. I watched one the other day on how to make triangular awnings. And I thought that was pretty interesting. I always notice that when you see a triangular awning put up, that uh, it's not a straight side on a triangle. That they have the hollow and they explained how you calculate the hollow. If you ever try to take a sail and stretch it out between three posts, you're always going to have slack in the middle of each of those legs of that triangle. And that's called the hollow. And I thought that was really interesting how you calculate how much hollow to cut out of the material if you're trying to make a tight looking triangular awning. Interesting. Anyway, I enjoy watching the videos. Like I say, I have a Sailrite sewing machine, and it is one heavy-duty, powerful sewing machine, and and I enjoy it. I'm a do-it-yourself guy, so I like to take on projects. I like to create something. In fact, it was interesting. I was talking to a friend of mine last week. He's um, he made a lot of money early in life. His name's Andy. 
uh, Andy Slovak. He's in Salt Lake City, but he grew up in, I think, Brooklyn. Uh, maybe not Brooklyn, but one of the burbs of New York City. So he has a bit of a New York accent. But he went to work in one of the major software companies, made a lot of money early on in his career, and now does a lot of angel investing. We got together for lunch. He's starting up a new company called Blip Billboards, which I thought was pretty interesting. You can check it out if you're curious about it. But he and I both, you know, we sit in front of computers all day. I'm a, I manage investment portfolios. So if you have an interest in having me manage your investment portfolio, I'm always looking for good qualified clients. Uh, and he is, all, he is an angel investor, and I'm an angel investor, and that's where I met him. We both invested in different angel startup companies, but he tends to be more hands-on, so he's involved with this company called Blip Billboards. But we were having breakfast, and I was talking about what, what I was working on, and he was talking about what he was working on. And then, then somehow, and I don't remember exactly how it went this direction, but he mentioned that he had built some bunk beds for his kids. He has two eight-year-old, I think twin eight-year-olds or six and an eight-year-old. Anyway, two children, and he built bunk boards or bunk beds for them. And uh, he said, you know, it was so rewarding. It's a project that had a beginning, a middle, and an end. And he said, I was watching my kids up there jumping on the the bunk beds the other day, and I kept thinking, I hope they break it so I can build it over again, because I can do it so much better this next time around. But we both came to the conclusion that we, we need to have that creativity that comes from building a physical product. And of course, I built my boat. I built three houses and counting, so three houses and a major addition to the summer home. But we both enjoy that physical creation, even though neither one of us works with our hands for a living. Both of us felt the need to have that physical creativity. And of course, that's what, if I sew something, that's something that has a beginning, a middle, and an end. But anyway... I thought that was interesting coming from him as well, because I would not have expected that. Pretty smart guy, software engineer, uh, but he, he, like me, feels the desire to have something physical created once in a while. Anyway, let's talk about where we left off on my last podcast. As I told you, we sailed, had a pretty tough, long day sail from Acaria down to the town of Paros on Paros Island. Now, one of the great things about coming into Paros is we knew Jack Andrews was going to be there. And when we pulled in, he didn't know we were going to come. He, the last he heard, we were going to be going up to Port Naosa, which is the northern port in Paros. But we decided because of the wind direction, which was primarily out of the north, we wanted to be in a more protected anchorage. And that's why we decided to take the extra, oh, 10, 15-mile jaunt down to get to the town of Paros. And it's a very well-protected big harbor, so a lot of room for boats. And when we pulled in, we pretty much parked right behind Jack's boat. And we were stuck there for four or five days. That was pretty much the end of the trip for Mike Allgood. And Neil got off my boat when we were in Paros and, and got on the boat with Jack. He got off my little boat and got on the big luxurious 40, I think it's 43, 45, 46 foot boat. I forget exactly the length of Jack's boat. 
But we spent a lot of time with Jack and Julia and the children, and we rented scooters. I rented scooters one day, rode around the island. Jack rented a car. Uh, So in this podcast, I'm just going to share some of the recordings we made with Jack and Julia and the children while we were on Paros. It's going to be a fairly short podcast, but I wanted to make sure I got it out. Before we get to that, let me remind you that if you're looking to learn to sail, I have some audio courses available at the website medsailor.com. You can also find them in iTunes, in Amazon. You can just search for my name, Franz, F-R-A-N-Z, Amazon, A-M-U-S-S-E-N, and they will pop up along with all my other recordings that I put out there. I have a lot of different audio courses, and of course, I've mentioned in the past, my, my number one audio course is for people preparing to work in the financial services industry, the Series 7 exam, which I've always thought would be good for other people that want to understand investments to take as well, but it's a 25-hour audio course. Now, my sailing courses are ones for the ASA 101, another one's for the ASA 103, Three and the others for the ASA 104, the American Sailing Association certifications. I can't teach as a sail in an audio course, but I can teach you some of the fundamentals and what you need to be aware of when you're getting out there on the water. To learn to sail, you've got to get on the water. You cannot learn to sail from a book or an audio course, but this will give you some of the preparation you need to know before you get on a boat. Now, one of the things that you need to learn is the language of sailing. There's a lot of terms in sailing that will sound like a foreign language to you when you first get on a boat. When I started sailing, I got on a racing boat and I felt like a fish out of water until I learned the terminology and, and the maneuvers that we were doing. But you learn fast enough once you start sailing. But this will give you a heads up before you get on that boat. Or if you've already been on a boat, it'll also help you in helping to remind you of the rules of the road, safety procedures on a boat, and that sort of thing. Things that you really do need to know to be a safe sailor. So check those out if that's of interest to you. Also, I want to thank all my Patreons, the people that have chosen to support me through monthly contributions to my Patreon account. Again, that's Med Sailor and Patreon as well. If you want to become a patron, Go to the website, and there's a link to the Patreon website where you can choose to support me. Now, I've got one out there. I've got a lot of different um, uh, gifts at different levels, and uh, you can check out those gifts. One gift is if you uh, donate enough money, you'll be sailing with me next time I go sailing. But I haven't had anybody take me up on that one. I'm hoping to, but I haven't had anybody take me up on that particular Patreon level. All right, Uh, what else did I want to talk about? Ah, one last thing. If you like this podcast, please go into the iTunes directory and write a review. I got a review back in July, but I haven't had any reviews since then. So if you like this podcast, Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond, go into the iTunes directory or whatever podcast directory you use and write a review. I did get a few emails from Daniel Zupu, and Daniel was interested in uh, Google Images of my route for last summer. Now, what I do, and I've talked about this in my route planning, is uh, I will lay out a route, usually in Google Earth, 
and lay out where I stop and change crews at. And that's one of the big, the big decisions I have to make in the summer is where do I change crews at? Some places are easier to get to than others. And so what I'll do is lay out the routes, put together an image in Google Earth. Basically, I will send my uh, prospective crew members uh, a pretty detailed document detailing the different routes for the different crews during the summer. And in that PDF file that I'll send to them, I will have an image from Google Earth showing the route of that particular crew. And and Daniel wanted me to put it up on the website. I've done that in the past, but I'll tell you what happens. They tend to get lost because I will put up a post and I will put some images up. And unless it's something that's pertinent, it sort of disappears. And it did, I'll be quite honest, it just takes more work. And I haven't done that with this last summer, uh, but I could. But also my route changed throughout the summer because it did not match up with my original plans. But I could put another one together for the whole summer if I wanted to. But Dan, I know, uh, I know you're interested in it. I'm not sure that many other people are interested in it. But then uh, Dan also wrote me back an email uh, the other day about chartering in Greece and he wasn't sure what qualifications were necessary for the different charter companies. I think the ASA 104 is pretty much accepted everywhere. And I think the British certification, which is similar to the ASA 104, is accepted. And there might even be a French one. And there might not be any qualifications at all. When I first started chartering, the charter company asked me to write out a resume of where I'd sailed and what I'd done. And, and that was good enough. But nowadays, they seem to be getting more strict, probably because of insurance requirements. But I would think the ASA 104 is going to be more than suitable, as well as the British, and I'm not sure what the British certification is, but it's similar to the ASA 104. But the best thing to do is just ask the charter company, and they will uh, tell you what is accepted and what's not accepted. Remember, the charter companies are in the business of chartering out boats. So they don't want to restrict you any more than they absolutely have to with their insurance regulations. Most of the boats that are chartered are owned by somebody else, and they're paying for the insurance and the maintenance, and the charter company just takes a fee for managing the boat and chartering it out. So the charter company's motivation is to charter the boat. Uh, Daniel, you also asked me to name the uh, charter company that those the, the brothers out of, I think they are out of San Francisco, used. I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. I'd have to go back and listen to that episode. And you can do that as well. All right. Right now we're going to move on to some some of the recordings we created while talking with Jack and Julia on their boat. Welcome back to the Sailing in the Mediterranean podcast. I'm in the cockpit with Jack Andrews, Neil Fletcher, Julia Andrews on their beautiful boat. And we've had a wonderful evening, and I'm going to, okay, we're in the city of Paros, on the island of Paros. There's a Meltimi blowing offshore. It has been blowing for four days. Yesterday, uh, Mike, Neil, and I sailed down from Macarius down here, and it was probably gusting up to 30-knot winds. The seas were as big as I've ever seen in the Mediterranean. We tried to get to the north end of Mykonos. We couldn't get to the north end of Mykonos. 
We couldn't get to the south end of Mykonos, so we ended up coming down to Paros, which was just fine because that's where Jack is. And he's been here for four days now, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. So, so we're sitting in the cockpit after a day of driving around the island, and uh, and then we went to a wonderful restaurant last night, or tonight, I should say. What's the name of that restaurant? Do we even know? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. I, 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 I recorded it. Okay. Neil's going to give us this information. Okay. Um, but it's going to take me a couple of minutes to find it. All right. So I'm going gonna, gonna to feed in while Neil's spending his time. I can always edit this out. But anyway... We're on a big boat, but the sad thing about this boat is there's no ice maker. (laughs) (laughs) But we have ice, but but they bought that on the way back from the restaurant tonight. But Julie and Jack have been sailing around the Mediterranean since early spring when they left Sicily, Marina Ragusa in Sicily, and came over here. And I'm going to let you guys talk for a little while about your adventures so far. So this is Jack, not Julia, <laughs> but uh, in th- just in case you're wondering. But uh, just one story about the ice, getting back to Franz's issue with it, is Franz was supposed to bring some ice over from his big boat, which is smaller than ours. He makes fun of the fact that we don't have an ice maker. And he decided to throw it into the soft bottom dinghy, and then, of course, it bounced out and went straight into the water. So we would have had ice earlier, but it's at the bottom of the sea. <laughs> so um, one thing that we have found recently, especially around July um, and potentially August, is going to be this issue of the Maltimi wind. We, um, we've sort of been hiding and running from it and finding things to do whilst the wind is blowing which for us is easy because, you know, we're on a boat, we're living on the boat, so we can do some work, we can do some maintenance, we can do other things around the island. But I can imagine that those people that um, hire or charter boats in this region and do it for like a one-week period might find that the whole week is just totally blown out with um, very strong winds, uh, short period seas that make it very uncomfortable, and the fact that is that it's blowing from one direction, so you can only go south. So if you're ever chartering in Greece in July and August, maybe you want to charter for longer than just one week, just in case you get caught in this Maltimi, because it, it certainly can blow for more than a week. So that's, uh, that's my comment for this period. Julia? You're shaking your head. Is that a pass it on to somebody else? I'll pass it back to Franz. Okay. <laughs> so I was hoping to have an introduction by Johnny English for the podcast, but he's going to explain to us what restaurant we went to last night. Thank you, Franz. The place that we went to tonight was called the Peri Useus, and it's located at the southern end of the harbour. Lovely little family restaurant, and we had the pleasure of... A, uh, the company of a couple of French, uh, extended French families. So there was 21 of us sitting there at the table tonight, half of which were children. Um, so it was a lot of fun. There was dancing, there was uh, plates breaking, there were napkins being thrown in the air. And that was just when I couldn't get a drink quick enough. <laughs> so it's really, uh, I'd just like to add something to 
what Jack was saying, I was reminded um, about the story of Odysseus and those, I'm sure there's many classical scholars there who subscribe to the podcast. Uh, but for those of you who didn't, Odysseus spent his, well, however many years, 10 years after the fall of Troy, trying to get back home to Ithaca. And he kept getting blown the wrong way. And some of his adventures were good and some were not so good. But he ended up in one particular episode at the land of the Lotus Eaters, which is quite appropriate because it feels like we're Lotus Eaters here. We're sitting here in Jack and Julia's lovely cockpit in their Bavaria 44. The vast expanse in front of me is a far cry from the cramped and squalid quarters of Franz's (laughs) Bristol Channel Cutter 28. And there's room to stretch our legs. There's a lovely candle here. There's a lovely woman's touch, which is notably absent on Franz's boat. Um, But it's such a pleasure to be here. And it's a pleasure to be part of the Brain Trust, really, because this is like the all-star team. We've got uh, Julia, who is by far the smartest and most beautiful guest ever on the show. Jack, who is the alpha male of the team and has got the bear hug to prove it. Don't ever try to hug. Uh, he's like, you know, Donald Trump and his hands. He's got nothing on Jack Andrews, believe me. You give him a bear hug, he will squeeze the life out of you like an Amazonian python. Exactly right. But it's, I felt, a di- no, I was just about to say, and I'm sure you're going to edit this out, but I felt a distinct thickening at that moment. <laughs> But it's lovely to be here. It's good friends, enjoying good times, like-minded people, sailors, easygoing, happy people who know one end of a gin and tonic from another. And it's a real thrill to be here. And I'm going to pass it on to anyone else who'd like to talk. Good line. A conversation is kind of like a spinnaker. You've got to let it breathe. Give it some air. The thrust will move forward, the narrative will move forward, and everything will feel just that little bit better. Yeah. Well, you know, Julie, you and I were talking about your your trip through the the Gulf of Corinth, yeah. and uh, you had a pretty unusual. I mean, it was windy, right? I mean, it was really windy for you. But I've been back and forth a few times, and it hasn't been a big deal to me. And you're afraid of going back, or a little nervous about going back through because of how windy it was coming through. Yeah. And my experience going both ways is it hasn't been that windy, so you might just have an unusual year. But do you want to talk about your experience coming through there? Well, I will say that I'm happy to know that um, because you are about the only person that I've spoken to who's gone through who has, has had it when it hasn't been windy. So, um, but we had what we had. Um, we started off with about twenty knots, fifteen, twenty knots, and. It was all good and we had full sail up and um, it got up to about 25 knots and we should have probably reefed the sails at this point. No, no, 25 knots was good. We were, we were downwind. It was it In was hindsight, excellent. we should have reefed the sails. No, and then, no, no, it was good. It was good. <laughs> and then I think it started creeping up to, um, it was close to 30 knots, but we knew we were going to be turning off into um, up into Galaxy. So we're like... So we thought that as soon as we turn that corner, we'll be sheltered. Oh, what fools were we. <laughs> so that was the plan. We'd, we'd, we'd turn the corner, the wind would disappear, and then we'd, we'd reef the sails and bring the sails in. And I had, we had my mum and dad on the boat at this time. And they're, they're great. But um, 
They're not the most but, experienced sailors. Well, they're not experienced. Well, At they're all. not sailors. So, so we turned the corner and and what did the wind? It, st- it sort of crept up. It really jumped up by about ten knots, didn't it? Yeah, we sort ten, of. It, it was ten knots instantly, and all of a sudden we have. Uh, we're trying to reef the sails, whilst so it's full full sails, forty five knots, and we're trying to reef them. And there's just Julia and I. The kids are downstairs. The grandparents are sort of sitting around looking at us going, is this normal? Uh, is everything under control? And Julie and I are just like going, well, it's going to be a bit of, bit of a tough thing to reef at this point in time. Um, so we uh, put the engine on and started to pretty much power downwind whilst pulling in the spinnaker. The I mean, sorry, the Genoa, the Genoa and uh, furling the Genoa. And it was just crazy. It was just you know. But you know you are actually supposed to turn into the wind to to furl a Genoa jack. You know that, right? Yeah, but we would have been beaten to death <laughs> if we had done that. <laughs> but the good news is we, we got we got the sail in. It was all right in the end. So, yes. um, yeah, it wasn't too much damage. We were cheating using the iron, the D-sail, <laughs> yeah. But, um, and of course, for my poor mum, when we got to... Um, Galaxidi because we hadn't we hadn't med moored well we'd med moored once and we we did it wrong and um, we weren't going to try well, that, and that was in um, in Dubrovnik Dubrov- no, no just where you check out in of Croatia. Croatia I can't remember the name of the town uh, uh, no. yes yes so 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 we've so, med moored there and it didn't work well we thought we'd successfully med moored I mean the boat was staying in the right spot it was just the fact that when we pulled the anchor up we didn't have to move the boat the the anchor just came to us. Yeah, the, the anchor was up and the lines were still tied to the dock. So, so, yeah, so that was a failure in med mooring, but um, it was our first attempt. So we had a very strong um, wind coming from the side. We weren't going to med moor the boat, so we put the anchor down. And my poor mum, all she wanted to do was go ashore and have a cup of tea. And a cup of tea. Yeah. Yes. But in and the meantime, we're on anchor watch in 40 knots of wind in Galaxidi with a reef behind us only about, well, 150 yards away. It was very close. And, uh, but the anchor held well. The anchor held. Great. And my mum sat there all afternoon in the cockpit looking at the town of Galaxidi, just going, are you sure we can't? <laughs> can't give it a go? Yeah, of but course. It, it would have been on the beam as we're trying to med more at 40 knots. We weren't going to try, it, no. try and do that. I'm sure it was less at Galaxy than what it was when we were in the anchorage, but there's no way that we wanted even 20 knots on, on the beam uh, at that point in time. So we left it for the morning, and by 11 o'clock at night, the wind had died. It died. But, um, but yeah, but so we have. We've had some... Um, and there was a, a, a couple... They were either behind us or in front of us, and they had... Um, they had 50 knot gusts, didn't they? The bridge. I can't remember the name of the bridge. It's the, uh, the, um, one, the, well, basically the big the, one. From Katra over to the yes. Right. Yeah. That's the one. And they, the had, they had 50 knots when they were coming Which under there. Which is on one of your videos on the yeah, YouTube channel. Or yeah. The, the Stop the Insanity video. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um. And yeah, so 50 knots through at that point in time. And, and the, the following day, there was a, um, a fleet came in and this was um what do you call them what the, the fleet that came in was the the flotilla flotilla yeah, that's right 
and a few of them had um, torn, torn head sails. They were coming east to west or west to east? Are they coming west to east? They were coming west to east because they were delivering. Because apparently the flotillas, um, there was about 150 yachts that were moving west to east in preparation for the peak season. And it was basically a bunch of um, retired British people that were friends, um, you know, yacht yachties together. And they all got together and, and they were all friends and... They were doing like 12 boats at a time. So these were actual flotillas? Flotillas, yes. And and they had a discount because they were doing it early in the season to move the boats over to um, the Sporadis, uh, I think it was, in preparation for the peak season. These weren't the veterans of... No, well, they were the, some of them would have been the veterans of Dunkirk. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so anyway, so that morning that after we anchored... We decided to go in and med more in Galaxy City, which is a lovely town. And uh, they didn't charge us anything for power and water or med mooring there, which is great. But we had our first med mooring in Greece and our first man overboard at the same time. Wow. Do you want to talk about that one, Jill? No, I, I think that in deference to my father, we won't talk about the man overboard. <laughs> But everyone ended up back on the boat, and it was all okay. So that's so. Uh, I think we should probably leave it at that. So, so if ever you are putting a line on shore in a med mooring situation, don't lean over and put all your body weight against the concrete wall. It's a big hint. It's purely hypothetical. No one knows that's what happened, but um, we'll see. Okay. I had a crew change in Galaxy City one time. And uh, the crew that joined me, the, the, the wife and the husband, it was a wife-husband crew, and the wife did not know how to swim. And, uh, and that was her first day on the boat, and she fell in the water getting on the boat in Gallic City. And in the Mediterranean, it is almost impossible not to bob up and down. I mean, you're a cork in the Mediterranean because it's so salinic in the Mediterranean. And I jumped in the water. I mean, I... Said, just relax, grab on to the uh, to the to the bobstay, and hold it. But she, but she didn't just grab on to the bobstay. It's like she's trying to climb up the bobstay. And I said, just just put your feet put your feet down in the water and just hold on to the bobstay and leave. Get your head above water. That's all you need to do. But it's not. It's, there's this natural panic reaction where people are trying to climb the cables to get out of the water. And I said, all right. So I put the put the ladder in the water. I mean, my boarding ladder in the water. And I jumped in the water and came around. I said, listen, just let go and just let your body sink in the water. And once she did that, she got so she could actually float on her back and feel fairly confident just laying in the water. But it took the whole the whole week for her to get that pl- that way. But exactly, first day on the boat, in the water she goes. She's trying to step on the boat and falls in the water and... That's the way it is. Now, did you go up to um, to Delphi while you were in Galaxy City? Yeah, Delphi was uh, was a very magical place. The best part about it was that it was had an awesome view. And I know that there's a lot of historical aspects to Delphi that were just way past what I enjoyed. But uh, the the views from up there were just spectacular. I can't imagine these guys building that long ago this awesome place so far up in the mountains so high 
Um, but, you know, it represented all the different uh, regions of Greece, and they all had their little temples up there, and um, it's, uh, it's not hard to get to, and um, it's a good day spent looking at the history that's in this region. But we then, the following day, we actually continued on, and we went to, if anyone's seen the movie The 300, where supposedly the 300 Spartans were um, in battle at the Hot Gates. Uh, we actually went to that region. They have uh, Leonides. Phenopoly, yeah. No, 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 we we drove there. We we drove there, yes. Yeah, and that there was, um, well, as, according to the Greek side of it, there was like 1.6 million Persians or something, but I'm sure the his, historians will sort of take that number down to tens of thousands or something, but it's still a phenomenal n- number. Uh, what's interesting is the difference in the coastline between the time of the battle and nowadays, but when you drive through that region, you still appreciate the the immense barrier that the um, the mountains created and allowed the Spartans to sort of create a choke point where, you know, a few hundred men uh, held off tens of thousands for a long time, or three days before they all died. And, uh, yeah, the Leonides statue is right there. We saw that. The kids absolutely loved that. So, again, that was from Galaxidi, and very accessible from Galaxidi, just by hiring a car for, I think it was 30 euro equivalent. I think it's an hour. Get to That's all? Yeah, yeah, an hour to, to drive there. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Because that's, if you go, um, I thought that was fairly, I thought you would have hit that when you had, uh, headed up the coast between the mainland and, and the island of Evia, because that's where you go by, right? Yeah. And so, yeah. And so you're able to drive to that from Delphi in an hour? Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah, the Battle of Thermopylae, yeah. takes me back to a story. One of my friends that has sailed with me a long time, Roger Schultz, I met him uh, racing on the Great Salt Lake and it was we were, it was a, an overnight race where you sail up to the causeway, turn around and come back. And the day of the sail, it was just a light breeze all the way up and back and up and back and up and back. I mean, we were tacking, 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 tacking into the wind and then we were expecting to turn around to the upper end of the mark, and of course the sun's going down and suddenly the wind shifts 180 degrees and starts screaming out of the south. And so now we're tacking in the dark all night long, back, 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 and and uh, my friend Roger Schultz, me, and this is the first time I'd met Roger, it was on this crew, uh, myself and my my skipper, Mike Seedall, who was my mentor in sailing, and I think we had three other crew members, but they were pretty much useless because they were both, they were all seasick. And uh, so Roger was, Roger was actually back in the cockpit telling the story about the Battle of Thermopylae and uh, the Battle of Marathon, the two, the two big battles of the Greek. He was just back there calmly telling the story, and it was really calming to the crew to hear him just talk about these battles because he had told this story over and over and over again. Obviously, he knew this, knew this story well. But I thought, you know, this is the kind of guy I wouldn't mind sailing with, is somebody this is this calm under these uh, situations. Because it was really a miserable night of racing, tra- tacking back and forth at, 
in Stormforce winds on the Great Salt Lake, which is not a place you think about for sailing, but people that have never been seasick in their life tend to get seasick on that lake because it's short, square waves, sort of like what we had yesterday sailing down from from uh, from Icarus. Yeah. So it's Jack here, but um, so yesterday um, Franz and the crew arrived here and, and uh, initially uh, I thought they were arriving in Narusa, which is the message that I received, but uh, they ended up arriving here and I had, we'd gone for a hike, so we missed the arrival because of the fact that we expected them in Narusa, but um, when they arrived, we we spoke to Neil on the phone and, and heard that they were arriving here and they're sort of saying, you know, I'm looking at the store that says camping on it, you know, whereabouts are you located in relation to that? And I'm thinking, well, you know, we're not that far away from it, but unfortunately I'm on this hike. And they were they were totally shattered. I mean, the first thing that Neil told told me is how beat up they got on that cruise over. It was a twelve hour passage for them. And um, after the hike, we got back, and we sort of got back about the same time as the guys got back from their dinner. Invited them for a drink, but uh, they were too tired even to get into their dinghy and come over for a drink. They were just totally wasted from being beat up on a really hard sail. So there you go. Yeah, I, w- I would only take issue with the, your use of the word cruise. It was about as far from a cruise as you could imagine. <laughs> it was an absolute, we took an absolute battering. It was a very tough passage uh, over. And um, as Franz says, it was the highest waves that he's seen in the Mediterranean in his uh, two decades here. Um, but the sea-keeping qualities of the boat, as I said, before I think were just absolutely fantastic I mean, it's a wonderful boat it just it just tracks absolutely wonderfully um, you know us humans getting knocked around inside is slightly different kettle of fish but um, you earn you earn everything in cruising I think you know you earn a peaceful anchorage you earn the pleasure of sitting in the cockpit and having a cocktail um, one way or another whether it's the work or the preparation or the passage or whatever but it's fine none of us really felt in any danger um, the only thing we're in danger of is having a few bruises but uh, which we certainly picked up but um, it's fine you know I mean it, those of you who listen to this podcast know that I love to you know blow my own trumpet and um, this was the fourth time this year that I've been in heavy seas and a blow at least what I consider a blow I'm sure the really experienced sailors don't think you can call it a blow if it's less than 50 knots. But for us, it was pretty demanding. But hey, we're here now. Nothing broken, nothing really damaged. And um, this is the reward, sitting here with good friends and enjoying good conversation. This is Michael Allgood. I don't know what they're talking about. It was a walk in the park yesterday. (laughs) It was so much fun. Um, I was looking for water skis to put out the back of the boat but we didn't have any but uh yeah it was a lot of fun um uh if if today i was offered the choice between going out in the boat again and doing the same thing or being beaten with a baseball bat i'd have to think about it but i think i'd take the baseball bat (laughs) yeah yeah, we, we were talking earlier today. We we're all just sore, just sore, <laughs> just sore from rolling around. It's not like you're doing much, but you're bracing yourself. Every moment, you're just bracing yourself. And so it's a lot of isometric ex- exercises all day long. And every time you, 
Jack and Julia. So, so I'm really surprised that you've sailed all the way down through Croatia, and you haven't medmored, except for Galax City was your second try at medmoring. Yeah, yeah. Were you just anchoring out all the time? No, it's all um, lazy lines in Croatia. Oh, okay, yeah. lazy lines, lazy lines. Yeah. All right. Slime lines, lazy lines. Slime lines. I've never heard that co- comment before today, but that's what they are. They're slime lines. Yeah, just get muddy and dirty, and yeah, yeah. So dealing with port police. Let's talk about that a little bit. So we 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 uh, we cleared in in Greece and in, uh, in Kos. Oh, and I got and I don't know if I've talked about this in a previous podcast. I probably have, but let me just give a shout out. Do not uh, change your money at Eurobank and Kos. Just don't do that. I I I, I lost a debit card at a uh, at a Eurobank machine in Kos, and my thoughts were with my passport and me appearing personally, they would give back my debit card, but they refused to. They said I had to get an email from my bank, which they said was standard operating procedure, which is not standard operating procedure. My bank said we never send out emails to any bank to give back a debit card. So avoid Eurobank in costs at all at all costs. But Jack today, in spite of my advice, went to the post office here in in Paros and went to a Eurobank cash machine and got money out with his debit card. So he ignored my advice in spite of in spite of me telling him not to. <laughs> but anyway, so we cleared into costs. And clearing out of Turkey this year was a real a real pain. We had to hire an agent, and uh, they 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 did the paperwork, and then we had to go over and appear in front of customs, and stamped our passports, and then we could leave Turkey. Clearing into Greece at Kos, and this is the island Kos. Jack just committed a party foul. He spilled some tonic water all over the cockpit. But that's that's what happens. Anyway, so we we clear, clearing into Greece was pr- pretty straightforward. We uh, we went into the old port, and you may have no, you may have heard in the news that there was an earthquake an earthquake in Bodrum, and uh, and Kos, uh this summer in July, and so we arrived at the port about a week after. Well, about three or four days after the earthquake. And they had shut off the waterfront because you could see the massive damage that it had to the waterfront from the earthquake. You could see that uh, the the there were big cracks in the in the pavement around the waterfront, big fissures in the in the in the pavement. So we tied up in the waterfront. The people at the uh, the not really the port police, but basically the people that were responsible for the waterfront moorage. Uh, told us how to go about clearing customs. They told us where to go to go to the port police to have our passport stamped. Then we had to go to the port authority to fill out a uh, transit log and then to somewhere else. I think it was the somewhere else to, to pay like $7. So it was pretty straightforward clearing into Greece, but it was a real headache clearing out of Turkey. And then, uh, and then we had a good sail the next day. It was probably about a 40-mile sail north. That was the last time we had any southeasterly winds. We were on one tack the entire day. But 
then the next day we went from, I think it was Lipsi, Lipsos, was that the island we went from, Lipsos, up to the Faruni Islands, which I'd never been to before. And when we got into the Faruni Islands, I went to the main town, and it didn't look like there was any place to tie up. And as I'm starting to motor away from the, the town dock, I see a, a woman that's a port policeman there, and I, I sort of hold up my arms and say, I sort of shrug, saying, where am I going to go? And she points, her, she points her hand straight out, which, I mean, to me, I took as not here but over there. And uh, so I went and moored over there, and she's running around and comes up to me and said, what are you doing, what are you doing, what are you doing? I told you to come right here in front of me. And I said, no, that's, that's not what I understood. I thought I was going over here. We made her feel good. We said, okay, whatever you need, whatever you need, we'll go back over there, not a problem. And so we went over there. We, again, we tie, untied our lines and pulled out, and my boat does not maneuver that easily. But we still came up and went to the place that she told us to go to, uh, which was maybe, what, 50 yards away. And then she said, come in and go and uh, go to the port port police office. And so we did. All, all three of my crew members went with me to the port police office. And we proceeded to spend about a half an hour with multiple forms filling out. And both these port police were women, port police women, not men. And so we spent about a half an hour and uh, seven euros after all that was said and done. And I wanted to ask Jack what his experience has been with, with Port Police so far. So um, being non-EU boat, we have a transit log. And um, so if you come into port, you're supposed to get the transit log stamped. And then you stamp it on the entry and you stamp it on the exit. Um, which is totally understandable. And we, um, on entry into Greece, um, Argostoli, we, we did exactly that. Um, and then after that, it was really hard to find port police that were interested in stamping your transit log. Um, like, in, for instance, in Galaxy, they were supposed to come and collect fees for parking at Galaxy or tying up to Galaxy, but they didn't. So they, they were non-existent, non-visible, in effect. So, you know, we, we didn't chase them. They didn't chase us. Um, but it turned out that um, in Napleon, which is on the Peloponnese, we came in and the port police came around and gave us a form and said, um, fill this form out and before you leave port, an hour before, just drop it into the office. So I did that, and I dropped this form in that I'd filled out with crew list, passport details, boat registration details, everything else. I bought, uh, brought along the uh, boat papers, everything with me. Turned up, the guy uh, takes the form and um, says thank you, and that was it. We're on our way. A week later, we come back to the same port, and uh, we're checking out. And this time, it's not a guy, it's a female port police. <laughs> and she says, um, where were you before this port? And, of course, we'd been out on anchor before that port. Um, but prior to that port, we were at that port, which is Napion. So she says, where were you before this port? And I said, Napion. 
She says, no, no, but where were you before Nafpion? I said, Nafpion? She says, but you weren't at Nafpion. You don't have a stamp for Nafpion. I said, yes, but we were here. We filled out the form. She goes, but there's no stamp. I said, well, you have guns. I don't have guns. You stamp the log. I'm happy. If you don't stamp the log, I'm happy. It's fine. <laughs> it's, it's like we were here. <laughs> and she goes, oh, no, no, this is not right. So she talks to her male colleague, and uh, then uh, she says, you know, this, this is not right. And I said, well, we filled out the form. We handed it in. Obviously, you have a you have a record of it. And uh, she ended up looking through the list of boats that had been in that port the previous weekend. Fair enough. Look, there was Vesna on the dates, registered in there. So the Nafion Port Police, which is, she is a member of, failed to stamp the transit log. And uh, so her complaint against me was actually a complaint against herself or her fellow crew members or whatever. Um, so anyway, she, it ended up getting it stamped at that point in time and I had to walk over to the town and get it stamped and, and it was all good. But it's sort of, it's a bit of a hit and miss, but I tend to find that the female port police are far more tentative to what's supposed to happen, whilst the, the male port police tend to sort of go, well, okay, you know, there's like a hundred yachts come in and Andrew yachts go out, and they all seem legit, so that's all right. But um, it's, yeah, it's obviously try and get it stamped, transit logs and so forth, but uh, not always you can do that because they don't always worry about it. So that's, uh, that's my take on it. Um, you can always say that uh, you're out on anchor, which works a lot of the time, if they did fail to stamp it. Been, that's been my experiences. If they come around to the boat, I'll take my papers up and get it. I'll spend, literally, it's about 15 minutes to a half an hour for them to fill out the multiple forms for about seven euros. And I think the, most of the port police don't want to really do that work anyway, so they just let it go. So I, it's uh, it's hit and miss. And, and uh, I've gone through all the Greek islands with, like, started out in Kosh and got all the way to the Corfu with like three stamps in my transit log and they seem to be fine when I leave Corfu. I said, oh, where were you? I just say, oh, I anchored, I anchored. And that they seem to be fine with that. Speaking of transit logs and other items like that, um, they, they are starting to ask for um, skippers' qualifications and certification. And not so much in Greece... But certainly in Croatia. And I was speaking to a, a gentleman who had been sailing for the last 20 years on his boat around the Mediterranean. And he was heading to Croatia. And he was concerned because of the fact that he had no formal certification at all with him um, that proved that he could actually skip her a boat. Um, whilst obviously he was more than capable after 20 years of experience. But it it is an issue where um, you know getting back to that certification, whether it's the uh, a British certification or the the American Sailing Association certification, it's something that if you have time to do, and this is a perfect opportunity for France to uh, 
to, to promote some of the lessons that he's put out there. If you have time to do it, do it because it is a, it is a certification that will be asked for eventually everywhere and it's becoming more and more frequent that they do ask for it. So luckily I do have that from the American Sailing Association and then they have that international reciprocal standard that is accepted in Europe. Um, so yeah, definitely do that. Yeah, as you know, I may I have some audio courses to help you prepare for the written portion of the ASA exams. Now, having 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 done that, I never actually taken any of the ASA exams myself. I have a Coast Guard commercial license, which is far and above what they require for the ASA exams. And so you can go about it two ways. You can go get your six pack license, which is uh, which is far and above the ASA requirements, but. You have to show, I think, 360 days of sailing time in the last five years. You have to be investigated by the FBI. They fingerprint you. You have to, I mean, there's a lot of bureaucracy you have to go through to get the commercial Coast Guard license where the ASA examinations are pretty straightforward and easy to do. Anyway, there's a couple ways to get your certifications. And like when when I started sailing, they were never required. And when I first chartered yachts, they were never required. But then again, I remember many times when I was at anchor when I was thinking, who, who are these people out there that are crashing into me and their anchors are dragging across my anchor? And, and I'm thinking, I'm glad they're actually requiring some sort of knowledge of sailing before they, they let a $200,000 boat go out and do damage to other boats. So anyway, I, I'm of two minds. I, I hate bureaucracy like crazy, but I can understand why insurance companies might be requiring some sort of competence, some sort of proof of competence before they let the boats go out. So, yeah. Anyway, I don't have anything else to say tonight. So if we come up with anything else, we'll talk about it. Otherwise, get out there and go sailing. Thank you for listening. If you have any thoughts, suggestions for future podcasts, I'm still looking for somebody to talk on the podcast about traveling with pets in foreign countries aboard a boat. If you have anybody you can suggest, please write me, franz1 at medsailor.com. Consider supporting the podcast by either buying some of the sailing products that I sell, sailing products being primarily educational products, or joining the Patreon group. Life is short. In the end, all that really matters is the memories you make. So make a few. Go sailing.